This is You Can Adopt, a series which explores and debunks many of the most common misconceptions about adoption in England. You'll hear first-hand experiences from many different people involved in the adoption process, with each episode hosted by recognisable voices sharing their own experiences of adoption. To find out more and to begin your journey towards growing your family, please visit youcanadopt.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by searching You Can Adopt. Now, enjoy the episode. Hello, you're listening to the You Can Adopt podcast with me, Carrie Grant, and my husband, David Grant. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Now, we adopted 10 years ago our little boy, Nathan, and Nathan does have some additional needs. And I remember at the point where we were adopting, there were like three factors that were really difficult, weren't they, that he was hitting those milestones that would be more problematic for him to be adopted. Um, And at the time, I think one of the things that we had to do is to make decisions, as many adopters do, about, you know, I'm going to take this on. I'm going to live with this just like you would with any child. And we're going to walk through this together. Yeah, but everyone, you have to know what you're able to do and have, have a sense of what you're not able to do and and be really realistic about that. Um, so yeah, but it, it can be a really challenging area to adopt a child with those additional needs. Now, this is the 15th episode of the podcast where we speak to guests about all aspects of the adoption experience. And this week, we're focusing on the latest You Can Adopt campaign. A Life Less Ordinary, which is focused around adopting children who typically wait the longest to be adopted. This includes children aged five and over, children with additional and or complex needs and brother and sister groups. Children from minority ethnic backgrounds also tend to wait longer, though reasons for this are complex. Sadly, these groups can wait much longer than average to be adopted. Children with disability typically wait 11 months longer in care compared to children without additional needs. And children over five tend to wait 13 months longer. Today, we'll be speaking about this and the experiences of our guests. We're very pleased to welcome Catherine and Adrian to the podcast, who've adopted three children with additional needs and are waiting on finalizing the process for their fourth. Wowza. Catherine and and Adrian, (laughs) thank you for speaking with us. Hi there. Hi. Hi. It's lovely to have you with us. Thank you for, for I don't know how you even found time to, to chat to us, to be honest. <laughs> My goodness, three coming up for four. So um, let's start by you telling us a little bit about yourselves, who you are, and what was your experience leading to adoption? Well, we started the adoption process 18 years ago now. We kind of knew that having our own children was going to be a challenge. I didn't want any even though I'm a nurse, I didn't really fancy anything intervention-wise to help us because uh, it's always the female that kind of cops it. And we always yeah. said, let's adopt. And we were just both really, really comfortable with that. Aid had had children um, in his previous relationship. So um, you were really comfortable, weren't you, to, yeah. to take this route. It was a no-brainer for me. We just knew straight away it felt right. It was what we wanted to do. And we've never looked back, absolutely never looked back. Now, you've adopted three children all of whom have health needs. Adrian, was it uh, an active decision on your part to adopt children with needs? I, th- I think going going right back to, to when we, we were very first adopted, it was a lot of things had changed. A lot of things were different than they are today. But in my view, it was it was quite a quite a natural thing to do because you use your your experiences, you use your life around you. 
to, to, to mould and to, to cope to cope and to, to take on board. And I, I didn't feel any, any problems with it at all. I still, I still don't. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> I think a lot of people would say you're really incredible people, though, because it's one thing to think that you might be able to do that. It's another thing to take on children that do have additional needs sometimes. It's, it, it's not always an easy, an easy journey. But how did it make you feel, uh, Catherine, knowing that some groups of children are just waiting so long to be adopted, particularly those with additional needs and siblings and older children? Obviously, it's multifaceted, but particularly in that area of additional needs. I just find it really, really sad. Our eldest child had been waiting quite a long time and her picture was painted it was so bleak. Um, she's got cerebral palsy, our eldest daughter. And I think that can quite easily deter people. You've got to take on board, potentially, that picture may be correct. But, you know, the environmental factors come into play and look into the future a little bit more and, and, and look at the potential of these children who just have so, so much to offer. It frustrates me. But it also, I just think it's very, very sad. And people kind of say to us, oh, you're really, really good. You're really, really brave. Those are lucky children. But I just think we're lucky for having them in our lives. So true. Because you don't really meet that child, do you? You're just no. you're kind of reading a list of positives and negatives. You're right. You, when you, when children can be, there are little challenges or sometimes big challenges that are there. They're not always balanced, are they? You, they're not balanced with like the day-to-day living with a child who brings complete joy and magic to your life. Totally. You said that uh, that people describe you and Adrian as, as good, like amazing for taking on kids with needs. But, but what qualities do you think are necessary, Adrian, for, typically for for children who have to wait longer? I think if you, you realise the situation you're in very, very quickly and you adapt and you put in place everything from emotional-wise to what you can do physically, if you really sort of immerse yourself in it, you, you start to learn. I'm still learning today. There's things that my kids will come out with that uh, will make me sit up and think even today. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, a new thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I'd rather that than, than playing a golf course. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we're going to tell if, if you're ready for adoption or not. Yeah. Any tips to not wanting to be on the golf course? Yeah. It sounds to me like you guys have a natural affinity with children that have additional needs. But I'm just thinking for our listeners, if they're like, well, I don't know if I have that natural affinity, what are the skills what what is it about you guys? If you were to sort of stand outside of yourselves for a moment, um, Catherine, what what is there about you guys? What what were those qualities that you needed to be in order to parent the children that you now have? I think we're both quite outgoing. I, in particular, I'm never scared to try new things. And parenting a child with additional need was very much a, a new thing when she came to us at two, our first one. I think patience is a big factor and I think you've just got to be a positive person. You've got to have a positive outlook. And other than that, I can't think what we've got that other people haven't got really. We are patient and we are positive and we are quite determined for our children. You know, um, we've always looked past the CPR reports and looked into the future for ourselves and what we envisage for our children, not what may have been predicted on paper by a doctor when a placement order's been granted. Yeah. We got told our eldest child would never walk and she was walking by the age of three and a half, riding a pony. 
She swam at national level. She's going off to uni in September. We never thought we would get that far. That's her. That's not us. But we've just given her those skills, I think, to be positive and be determined and not give up. Like with any child in any situation, we've just given her the skills to do those things. And I think the same could be said for all our children. That's that's all we've done. You paved the way. Did you consider adopting a two-year-old as, as okay or even older than that or, or, or sibling groups or was it always you wanted to adopt babies? For us, two was okay. I obviously wanted um, a diddly one just because I'd not had a child of my own. Um, so being presented with a two-year-old that may never walk was a little bit daunting, but we were presenting with this like amazingly huge character and we saw past that straight away we saw how feisty she was we saw how determined she was yeah and then kind of after that it's been quite important to us that you know the next one to come hasn't kind of run past the first one and so on so they have all been young and we're just about to adopt a very young one again but that's what fits for our family we would have considered an older child and we've said this time around we would have considered an older child but I think the needs of the little one who hopefully when we've been to panel we can meet her needs and her needs kind of overrode the age situation with her and it was felt that we could meet those needs because of our experiences as opposed to the age because we'd originally said we'll go up to five. Take us through for our listeners how old your children uh, were when you adopted them and what age they are now and, and how they are their siblings how did they come to you? Okay well my daughter is now is now twenty. She came with us uh, two years old. Um, had a very positive experience all through the system of going through from uh, through the process from the first time. So eighteen years a long time to be uh, still learning process, but it is. And she's done very well. I have another little girl who is now seventeen. She came to us at six months. She was fetal alcohol syndrome, um, which was a real challenge. Would you have known that when you adopted, or is it something you learned later? No, I, I, I knew I knew about that. I've been through with my eldest daughter with the cerebral palsy. You learn so much very, very quickly. But with fetal alcohol syndrome, there's so many different facets to it that um, you do have to just take a bit of a step and say to yourself, right, we'll deal with this, this, and this. And you, you slowly go along and you slowly master what you have to do. She's a challenge, but she's been amazing. She's 17 now. She came to us at six months. And then have a little boy who um, came to us um, at two on his second birthday, actually. He's now 13. He's quite a complex little character. He has um, quite a rare condition. He has a a partial deletion of a chromosome. And um, he's small in stature. He's small in in muscular. He's uh, really had to fight his corner. And we've had to kind of be there for him a little bit more than I thought I'd have to be. And also a bit of a learning curve, but also there's a bit of an unknown with him as well. So he's quite an interesting character. But um, all of them have, have, have met milestones that uh, I, I think that they would possibly never have achieved in care. So um, I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm very proud sure. of them. Yes. So 2017, 13, all very different children. Was there a difference um, in the way that they settled in, Catherine? I think we've been really, really fortunate in that we've had three amazing sets of foster carers and we've forged relationships really well with all of them. And they all did an amazing job in preparing the children to make that move. I don't think there was any difference. I think we've been very, very fortunate in that they did all settle very, very quickly. And then, of course, 
or the relationships between them and, and how how did the other children how have they responded as each child has been added I think it's like you know when people are having a baby they make very very sure that those other children aren't feeling pushed out and that's what we've had to do each time I mean I remember our middle one arriving and I was taking our eldest to nursery and I had the baby in the pram and we'd not been at nursery all week because of the introductions and then the nursery staff coming over and making this massive fuss of the eldest one and completely ignored the baby and then when she went off and played then they came to the baby and they said we, d- we didn't want to make a big thing of the baby because we didn't want her to feel pushed out <laughs> and that was really really you know that's almost how how it has to be in certain situations you know but I think that's the same for any sibling isn't it when when a baby arrives it's... yeah and, and it, but it is totally different to birth children because birth children don't have all of those insecure attachments and no. so how they might respond to a new baby could be totally different to yeah, the introduction is yeah the introduction can be I, I mean for some families can be really challenging what we found um with our last adoption we found our middle one who because of the um, FASD, she does have quite significant, profound learning difficulties. And, and she wasn't planned, the, child, the, the girls weren't planned to be part of the introductions until much, much later on in the week. And in the end, we had to move everything forward because she was getting quite almost disturbed at the fact she'd not yet met her brother. Um, but the social workers were great and they understood all that. Uh, there is a constant threat there to their position in the family. But then once they've met, they fight. But they love each other. We have the normal sibling relationships that any anyone else has. But those early days are really, really important that those children are involved. I think involving them too late doesn't work. It ha- they have to be involved. And that's what we said this time around. Children need to be involved from the onset. And, and that's what we're going to do. The balance is about to change again because you're about to adopt a fourth child. Adrian, how are they involved in this? Well, they're actually completely involved. Um, they've been involved in, in everything from, um, you know, <laughs> sorting out a room to asking questions about school, asking questions about nursery. They just really, in, I, I don't know what it is about them. They, they seem to come together and pool their resources sometimes. And uh, they're actually very excited. And to actually try to put your finger on it, really, I, th- I suppose it's just, it's another step. And they are so willing, and uh, my, my kids are so adaptable, that they're, they're, they're almost champing at the bit sometimes. But, um, you know, going around the shops and looking for clothes and looking for bits and pieces and uh, are wondering what, what they can sing and what they can read and what they can do to help and be involved. It just comes naturally from them. It always has. Just as you're speaking, just how much of a family identity you guys have. I'm feeling that even, Hmm. you know, I can't see you, but I can hear you. And I'm really hearing that family identity. And that's so important for our children that they have that sense of belonging, that we're part of this family and this family is going to welcome a new person. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. you've just got to fight, fight the corners. So what support did you have when you adopted your children from your adoption agency or your local authority? Uh, That's to Catherine. All three times, the children of two children came from a local authority. The third child came from another local authority. And number four is coming from an agency. And all four times, everyone's been really, really supportive. I think looking back on the last three adoptions, we got all the support we needed. You know, our overseeing social worker was always great. Uh, We had the same one for the first two and then a separate one for the third. And likewise, the children's social workers. And I like the fact that they're there if they need you, but they've never been overpowering. 
but nothing's ever been too much trouble. They've always had the answers. They've always been able to get us the information. You know, if there's little bits of information that we've wanted that we still haven't got, they've always been willing to go out and look. I think for us, as soon as the adoption orders were granted, we've, we're quite fortunate. We've not really needed any support from the Adoption Support Fund or anything like that, but we know it's there. Mm-hmm. We're in contact several times a year. We get information through from them about courses that are running. We've attended a few, especially surrounding education, because that can be a little bit of a nightmare. When you talk about education, because I find it quite interesting there, Catherine, you've mentioned that you've had no need to contact the adoption support. No, we've contacted them once over over yeah. school. Uh, we had to contact them because we wanted one of our children to repeat a year and we were having troubles facilitating that. And we kind of used the argument, you know, this child arrived at two years old. We've been playing catch up ever since. And we're not ready to make a transition with COVID and everything else. So you've used them in that sense, but I'm thinking more about the challenges, perhaps uh, I'm just picking out FASD because uh, that's neurological, it can affect behaviours yeah. and, and what people are finding, whether they've adopted or not, but even in the adoption arena, which is normally fairly well provided for, is that post-pandemic, the support and the access, it's, everyone's shut their, shut their registers, as it were, you can't even access help. Have you found, you found that? Yeah. I think once again, we've not, we've not needed to go for the help, but I've got friends that have, and yes, they have had that challenge and they've got it eventually, but I don't think it's, it's as forthcoming as pre-pandemic. I think finances and, you know, staffing levels, et cetera, have had a major part to play in that. Um, But I think our local authority, where our first two children came from, are really, really good at providing the information whether you want it or not. You know, we get bumps of information through the door several times a year about um, support workshops, a lot of online stuff, a lot of therapeutic parenting group invites, um, that kind of thing. So I think we are quite fortunate in that sense. But I do know what you're saying because I've heard from other adopters, friends, that they've needed that support and it's been really, really hard to come by. And they've always got it in the end, but it has been a little bit more of a delay than we would have done in pre-pandemic times. Right, support at the right time, in the right place. Sometimes you need that support quite quickly. Adrian, what's your your sort of personal support network like? Are your friends and family involved in supporting you and the children? Yeah, I mean, we're we're very fortunate. Um, We have good links with a local church group and that then spins off into all kinds of events, all kinds of activities. There's, there's help groups, there's little informal meeting chats and people to go to. The children have got facilities there to go. They go to a wider range of activities as well. They, they'll do all kinds of things that um, are available to them. Um, and we, we've, had a, we, we've had a great family. We've got a great family around us. Um, not, not so local. We'll, we'll travel and meet our family. We'll, everyone adapts. Everyone comes here. Um, we, we are actually blessed a good network yeah yeah we're very lucky and Edgy, you, yeah. you're saying your, your oldest is 20 um how's she getting yeah. on and what support does she need now at this stage she's, she's done amazingly well from all, all, all through to be honest she's had massive challenges um, medically massive challenges um, educational wise which she's ridden through and we know sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad you, you just ride with it but um, she is making really good progress and she's, she's making a, a really good success of what she's got, a good fist of what she's got, as my dad Lovely. would say. 
But, um, I mean, she's driving her own car. She's rifing me for petrol. <laughs> um, but um, she is almost as independent as she can po- possibly be. And she's going to university and she's going to be living in. Uh, and they've been amazing for her as well. Really supportive and all through the process. I love that that has turned out so well and it's is turning out so well. Yeah. It's a real success story. You guys have touched a couple of times. You've mentioned or hinted at, let me say, um, that there it hasn't always been plain sailing with education. Catherine, what have the challenges been? I think it kind of helped. It starts in the preschool years. You know, the health visitors come out. They're always lovely. But, you know, they've got their checklists, um, the Healthy Child, Child Programme checklists, and our children have never met their goals on time because they've been through a major trauma and then they move into your home. They've got a new mummy and daddy, but then they go backwards. Mm. You kind of don't get sick of it because I think it's important that professionals understand it. I've had to explain, you know, the implications of, you know, children moving from foster care to adoptive placements so many times to professionals. Um, and I think that's where where it starts, education-wise. So, yeah, I think it all starts in the preschool years. So And then they go into nursery and you have to have those same conversations. They may do this behaviour because they may not want to join in that because they may not like Father Christmas because, you know, strange man <laughs> coming into the nursery, all that kind of thing. And then they start school and, and I just think they're always playing catch-up. I mean. We, we've done a lot with schools between the three of our children. We've paid fees. They've been to independent schools. We've had them in state schools. We've moved them from state schools. We've home educated two of them for a good amount of time. You know, there's nothing we've not tried. Um, and we've had to do whatever's right at the time. We've never had a plain sailing of them all, all three of them in the same primary school. And then they all moved to the same secondary school and off you go to university, which is what you get in, in a neurotypical family without any additional needs. You know, the schools have had to be right for our children. And it sometimes meant traveling a little bit further away, you know, into the next village or something to get a small state primary school. We've, we've done that. Sounds like you and Catherine have really had to become advocates for your children. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, well, that, you, you do. I mean, I, I've got two boys from my previous marriage, and I'd still, I've still used the same qualities for those two boys. I mean, they're, they're forty and thirty-six now. They've been in the army. They've been around the world. But you don't lose track of exactly what you have to be doing. And this is where we're, we're about to adopt again, and um, I'm completely ready. Yeah. yeah, I think, um, you know, the education system in this country, we're very fortunate in a lot of ways, but it's very one size fits yeah. all and it doesn't really fit any of our children. Yet they've all exceeded expectations, but we've had to be creative. What would you uh, both say to parents who might be considering adopting, but are worried uh, that they wouldn't be able to cope with raising children with additional needs? What would you say to them? I'd just say the support is out there. There's so many groups you can join now. There's always people that will help fight your corner. There's always other parents. And I think for us, it's quite difficult to now look back and think, oh, I don't think we can do that because we've done it three times. And actually, our struggle now would be to have a child come into the family without an additional need. They just wouldn't fit. They'd be wondering why they were always at the hospital, you know. (laughs) (laughs) There there is no normal, you know. And, And I think. Any any child that's been through a trauma has got an element of need anyway. They have. Yeah. Catherine, thanks for really telling us about your network and your support. Now we know a little bit more about the support you've received and your adoption journey. 
Let's hear about how your life is now and what a typical day looks like in your household. How do all the children get on with one another? <laughs> that sounds like the laugh of a referee. Yeah. But we have good, good days and chaotic days, don't we? We do, yeah. Some days they're absolutely brilliant friends and other days you can be like any other family just because they're adopted children doesn't mean they're aloof from, you know, falling out with each other. Yeah. They've all got really strong interests, which we focus on and build on. And that really helps and it brings out their own individualities and, and kind of reduces their competitive streak in a way because they've all got completely different things that they're good at. Um, so our eldest, um, well, she was, she was para swimming now. She's gone back to horses and that's what she's doing at uni. So she's off at the stables a lot. Our middle one is absolutely obsessive about musical theatre and dance. She's always dancing, singing, acting. Something is always going on. She's always preparing for a show, learning lines for something or another. And our little boy seems to be, water sports seems to be his thing and sailing at the minute. So we promote those things. So obviously our days, um, say a weekend day, are very much around those three activities, really. Um, the, the, the queue for the bathroom, though, is like any yeah, other yeah. house. You can't get in. Yeah. Adrian, do you find that you have to parent your three different children, you're currently three, your three different children in three different ways? Because that's something we find. We've got four children with needs, and you can't kind of make a uniform one-size-fits-all as parents either. Every, each one of our children seems to have a different way that they need to be grown up, as it were. I mean, you've, you've probably just answered the question, but the strange thing is you can actually sit uh, and watch um, these three and it does come over you, the sense of, hang on a minute, this isn't normal. They're all doing exactly what they should be doing and it's quite odd. And then suddenly something will happen that will blow you back into the normal frame of one, two, three. Um, but, it, it, yeah, I, I, it's a hard one to explain that because three different individual characters and they all, you know, they always will be. They know they know how to wind each other up, and they know how to placate each other. So uh, that's as near as I can answer that. You say they know how to wind each other up. So, so obviously they're different, but they're, they sound like they're similar as well. To, to what extent? I mean, with their needs, to what extent? Extent of their needs, experiences, and traits the same as other children? They're very protective of each other, like ridiculously protective of each other, to mm. the point of our middle one is just doing her GCSEs now, um, so she's finished school. And our youngest, who's in year seven, doesn't want to go to school now because she's not there to protect him. Five minutes later, they'll be fighting in the back of the car like a dog. But I think environmental factors kick in, don't they? And they just grow more like each other because they're living 24-7. Three children with completely different genetics and different needs have have grown. Lockdown showed a lot of differences and a lot of comparabilities as well. It, It was a very strange time. But um, I've got a little boy who rode, rode with it really well, and then my middle girl didn't, and then my eldest um, just did the very best out of making it a bad thing good. So, yeah, again, three very different characters. It's difficult to explain that one. It is really, really hard to explain how they work together. Mm. You have to ride all those changes as they're happening in real time and with all the other, like we've just said, external uh, situations like COVID, like the pandemic. It does change how you're having to just deal with the day-to-day, doesn't it? And I think all our children, well, not so much our elders, but our our middle two, definitely, um, they are quite young for their age, both of them. (laughs) Um, And I think challenges that typical families without any additional needs, they came 
into problems in you know COVID, things they had to deal with. We didn't because we could just say, well, come on, let's go on a bike ride. <laughs> let's go and walk the dog. And they were more than happy with that. In a way, we were more prepared for it in that sense, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. they're already, these children are already on high alert anyway. And one of the challenges we had in COVID was one of them was ridiculously anxious um, about catching COVID. And then we struggled to get her back to school because she didn't want to catch COVID. We had this extended level of anxiety, but actually these children have gone through one trauma. They've gone through one loss. They're worried about bringing it home to their family. 18 years into your adoption journey, is there anything looking back, knowing what you know now, that you would have done differently? I don't think there is, actually. I think once you get into the frame of, like you say, fighting the corners for children, adapting, being patient, looking at it from their view. I tell you what, the, the, the most interesting thing I've got is when I was a child, things were completely different. And you try and look at the world through their eyes and it's you don't have a comparison to what you had. It, it, it's moved on. Things, everything's changed. There's, there's all the tech. There's all the information highways. It's completely different. I think if you're adaptable and you're patient and you can see it that way, then you don't really have a problem. If if you can nurture and move forward like that, and that's all we've done. That's all we've ever done. Um, I think I'm a different person now than I was 18 years ago. That's yeah. for sure agree with you on that the same for us and I think I'm loving how you're talking about that sort of you talked about adapting there that flexibility you spoke earlier about patience and Mm. obviously patience is so important but I think flexibility is one of the key things because that is literally a moment by moment isn't it 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 is and it 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 doesn't it it never goes away it's always with you you're always either wary of something that might happen or, or a position you're going to end up in or you're going to try and fashion your way into that with with, a, with a, a game plan and when when you're dealing with children you need you stick to your game plan um and also just like i say just ride with it sometimes and then make the decision because it's it is a journey it still is you see it never changes it's ongoing it's ongoing and so much so that you have obviously spoken about choosing you have chosen to adopt a fourth child i think we already know the answer to this but um are you considering adopting that child is that child going to have additional needs as well yeah, <laughs> for a penny and for a pound. I can't give too much away, but yeah, she she is. Mm. <laughs> it's a pink one. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> so, so bearing that in mind, what's your message, Catherine, to all the potential adopters out there who might not have considered adopting so far a child with additional needs or children who wait longer in the care system, but they're listening to this and thinking, "Gosh, that's that's something I might go for." What would be your message to them? Well, just go for it because you'll just not regret it. You'll not look back. Any child, adopted child, birth child, is going to bring a challenge to your life. Um, the fact that our children have already got challenges, at least we know about them. You can't guarantee any birth child is going to be without the challenges, can you? Um, but the rewards that you get from our children is just so great that if I, if I could do it all again, I, I would do it all again each one of them I wouldn't change a thing I love that and to Adrian uh, what one piece of advice would you give to people who go on to adopt children with additional needs I think that you've just got to be honest with yourself and say if I'm going to immerse myself in this it's got to be completely but if you're gonna really if you've got the positive trait going and you've got the will to immerse yourself and the will for the journey then yeah, there's no reason why not. Thank you so much, Catherine and Adrian. You Thank two you. really are inspiring. 
Thanks for coming on today and for sharing your experiences with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of You Can Adopt. Listen out for more new episodes coming up. And if you haven't already, check out the first six episodes that cover many different and interesting stories from adoptive families. For more information and to take the first step towards growing your family, visit youcanadopt.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by searching You Can Adopt. PAC UK is the country's largest independent adoption support agency and works with all of those affected by adoption and other forms of permanent care to provide advice, support, specialist therapy and counselling. For more information, please visit www.pac-uk.org or call 020-7284-5879.